as uh, as the kids go off to children's church, I I, I hope you. Uh, it's not the first time, but if you're a guest, that's probably the first time you've seen Rachel's love and passion for God and for others. And it's simply amazing uh, to be around her. She's that way all the time. Uh, <laughs> God is alive, alive in her, and, and you, she can't hide it. And thank you for sharing that with us and others. When uh, Pastor Jim asked me if I'd introduce uh, our guest speaker today, I was like, absolutely. And he's probably nervous that I'm actually introducing him more than <laughs> actually preaching. But I think even in introductions, there's a lot of things to learn. And so I thought, how would I introduce, you know, a good friend that, uh, that I love and I've seen his ministry and I've seen his family. And uh, God was like, well, say, we'll introduce him by the correct titles. So first, he's a, he's a child of God. That, that's his first main title. And second, he's a husband to Brandy. Third, he's a father to Hope and Caleb and Sarah, Micah and Seth. I got all five? It's all. Yeah, in order. I tried to, the twins, I had to make sure I got in order. Um, all the other titles he's held um, have helped him be God's uh, um, ambassador to a lot of different places, but those are the titles that we have that are the most important uh, because none of that other stuff uh, we can take with us to heaven, but our family, we can as we live out before them and, and see that. Um, also, I wanted to tell you, uh, our church has already em embraced them in their missions that hopefully he'll mention a little bit, uh, though I know he knows the most important thing is I've asked him what he's preaching on, so I'm excited to hear that as well. But I hope he shares a little bit about what they're embarking on. Some people call it adventure. Some people think they're crazy. Uh, and some people think it's very freeing. Uh, so I don't know where you are in that. If you had five kids and a husband and a wife on a, about a 400-square-foot catamaran going around the world taking care of missionaries. But... Um, what I see and have heard and listened is obedience. And so it's my pleasure to introduce my friend and, and former colleague, though he's no longer in the Navy, as you can tell. He retired, uh, Dennis Kelly. How about now? There we go. All right. Maybe I had it on the whole time. Hope y'all didn't hear me sing the whole time. <laughs> I was asked for a recent photo. Um, believe it or not, that is fairly recent. We're all just much hairier now. Well, at least the boys are. Um, I, I'm excited about the opportunity to share this morning. Uh, and and I, I will mention uh, just very quickly uh, what Robert was alluding to with, our, with regard to our mission work. Uh, we are um, embarking. It's a good word. And a pun is intended, I suppose, on a uh, three- to five-year mission to support missionaries around the world as we sail to them on our, um, on our catamaran, on our boat that we have lived aboard the last couple of years. And uh, we are, well, we're, wherever God leads us, but we intend at this point, uh, tentatively, it's, it, it is very freeing because we don't have a, we don't have a, a schedule to keep uh, to go around the world and do this uh, literally um, all around the world, take the, take the gospel to those who are taking the gospel uh, around the world. So uh, our text this morning uh, is from the book of Hebrews, and the reason I chose this verse is because this is, uh, this is the verse uh, that we have on our boat, and uh, it's Hebrews 6.19 is our, our, our verse for our ministry. Uh, but we'll be reading Hebrews 6, verses 13 through 20. Um, Hebrews 6, 19 is probably familiar to you. We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain. 
Um, our boat is called Ankyrios, which is a combination of two Greek words that means anchored in the Lord. And uh, that's what we want to be. We want to be anchored. We want to stay solid in the Lord. And we want to help others to find secure anchorage. So uh, as you turn there, hopefully, uh, in, in your Bibles or click there, uh, I want to read the scripture beginning again in verse 13 of Hebrews chapter 6. It says, For when God made a promise to Abraham, since he had no one greater by whom to swear, he swore by himself, saying, Surely I will bless you and multiply you. And thus Abraham, having waited patiently, obtained the promise. For people swear by something greater than themselves, and in all their disputes, an oath is final for confirmation. So, when God desired to show more convincingly to the heirs of the promise the unchangeable character of his purpose, he guaranteed it with an oath, so that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled for refuge might find strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before us. We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain, where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf, having become a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Let's pray. Fathers, we continue our worship this morning. We turn to you. We, we want to we know you more, to, to be able to truly love you more. We pray, Lord, that you would fill us with your spirit, that we might worship you in spirit and truth, and that you would open our eyes to amazing, beautiful, wonderful things in your word. Speak to us, teach us, fill us, encourage us, equip us this morning. In your holy name we pray, amen. So as I said, we've left on our mission work. We left in October. Uh, we made it, uh, we went around the tip of Baja, California, to Cabo, and then up into uh, the Sea of Cortez. Right now the boat is in uh, Puerto Escondido, Loreto, Mexico, and uh, we are looking forward to uh, getting back down there next month to continue our work. Uh, we've, uh, we've made a connection with a missionary couple down there that we're going to work alongside to do some relief work with them and uh, help them uh, strengthen their ministry and, and their work there uh, to, uh, to the folks of Loreto, Mexico. Um, on our way down, on our way actually back up, um, through, uh, we, we were on our way to where the boat is now, and we stopped in a little place called La Ventana. Um, we didn't find it in any of the, the books about anchorages or places to stop, and uh, when we got there, we found out why, because it's not a good place to stop. It's not a good place to anchor. It's not sheltered in any way. But we were going to visit some friends who were sailors. Uh, we trusted them. We trusted their local knowledge that they said it's a, it's a great place. It's nice and sheltered. It's a great place to anchor. Um, and it's right off the beach from their house. And so we'd be able to you know, stay with them, and the boat would be in sight, and it would be secure. And... Uh, so, again, in reality, we got there. There was no shelter. It was, we, were, we were trying to hide from some northerly winds and seas, and, uh, and the coastline ran north and south. There was nothing to block anything coming down. Um, so we had high winds, we had choppy seas, and uh, it was not a great place to anchor. Uh, the first night, we slept aboard. Um, 
we, we could have stayed at their, at their house, uh, but uh, we, we weren't sure that the boat would still be there in the morning. Um, so Brandy, we left the kids at their house and let them have a uh, sleepover, and Brandy and I went back to the boat and slept the night on the boat. Um, and it was, it was pretty rough. Um, we'd been through some, some rough seas, but it, it's one thing when you're awake and you're watching and you're aware of what's going on. When you're trying to sleep um, and you're not sure that you're going to be where you went to you're going to you're going to still be where you were when you went to sleep um, it's a little unnerving so I had an alarm set to wake up every 30 minutes and I would check the GPS and check visually to make sure that we were still anchored um, when we got there um, we were on the radio with the guy was on the shore saying yeah you can just drop the anchor right there and I'm looking and I'm you know looking at the chart and there's there's reef there's coral um, no, we can't drop it here, and so we moved to where we found some good, um, nice sand that we could put our anchor into. Uh, so we dropped the anchor, we checked the chart for the right, the right bottom and the right depth, um, we put out an extra length of chain, I dove the anchor to make sure it was, it was well set, um, and uh, when we left, a few days later, after sustaining these, these seas and winds, uh, the anchor was right where I dropped it, and I knew that because it was right next to a submerged log. Um, and so it was literally, there was a log, and the anchor was there, and it hadn't moved an inch. Um, what we learned from that experience is that we can trust our anchor. Uh, we had never really paid much attention to our anchor. We'd, we had anchored in Mission Bay, which is not a, it's not a, a difficult place to, uh, you could probably drop a, a milk jug full of sand, and you'd be okay in there. Um, so we learned by testing that we can trust our anchor. So we're talking this morning about the, our anchor and, uh, and our steadfast hope, our anchor in Christ. As we look at the book of Hebrews, it's a, it's a difficult book. Um, just just in, in its literary context, it's, it's difficult to understand, it's some, some very high Greek, if you wanted to try to read it in the original language, there's words in there that aren't anywhere else in the New Testament, um, so it's, you just, it's, a, it's a difficult book. I took a, I took a class on it uh, in seminary in order to try to understand Hebrews, and I report to you that I don't understand Hebrews anymore after having taken the class, uh, but it, it did help me try to begin to understand Hebrews. So I want to try to help uh, understand this piece of Hebrews this morning. Um, Hebrews, we, we don't know who the author is. Suspect it may have been Paul. Uh, there are arguments either way. Um, not necessarily important, but the audience is important. Who Hebrews was written to? The Hebrews. The, the Jewish believers. Uh, Jewish believers who were facing uh, difficulty and trials and disappointment and confusion and though we may not be Jewish, we can identify with their struggles and trials. Uh, it was written to a community in defect. They were abandoning or threatening to abandon or um, being tempted to abandon their faith in Christ, to turn back to their old Jewish practices. It was a book written to encourage them that they have a great high priest in Jesus Christ. And we'll talk about that in a little bit, one who fulfilled the law, who completed the law. 
So let's, let's dive into this now, um, and we talk, let's talk about what, what is our hope. Well, first of all, talk about why do we need an anchor. Again, not one of those things that I paid attention to much when we first got our boat. It's got an anchor. Check. Um, good thing. You're supposed to have one of those. Um, but we need an anchor to hold us in place, to give us a secure spot to give us a reference point to prevent shipwreck and to be able to rest and to, to be at ease even amidst storms and troubles and troubles and trials why should we doubt when we are in a moment of trial and difficulty or or uh, challenge that this has a purpose why should we doubt that god is doing something in those difficulties and struggles what changes as I struggle is me. What moves away from God's purpose and love is me. Trials serve to rein us in, to shift our focus from me, to, to lift my gaze from the grave to the heavens. It helps me remember to have hope that my citizenship is in heaven, in a heavenly kingdom helps me to remember that I am a child of God and that I'm heir to the richest of kings. It helps me hold fast to those promises, to those truths, and it is an anchor for my soul. I need an anchor during those times. If we don't have an anchor, if our soul has no anchor, what does that look like? We, we may be adrift for a while. We may live our lives okay for years, decades maybe. But eventually, we're going to hit something. We're going to hit something hard. And it may put a hole in us. And it may sink us. It may be a total loss if we don't have something holding us fast. We can run, run aground on rocks of doubt and fear and failure and loss and death. So we need an anchor. We need an anchor for our soul. And that anchor... Our steadfast hope is in Christ. Our hope is based, in the first point there, our hope is based on the greatness of the promise maker. Look in verse 13 and 16 through 18. It says, For when God made a promise to Abraham, since he had no one greater by whom to swear, he swore by himself. And it goes on in verse 16 to say, For people swear by something greater than themselves, and in all their disputes, an oath is final for confirmation. So when God desired to show more convincingly to the heirs of the promise the unchangeable character of his purpose, he guaranteed it with an oath. The greatness of the promise maker. Everything that exists, exists because of God. He is the ultimate basis. He is the primary cause of all things. Just a couple of weeks ago, we witnessed the transfer of power in the president of the United States, and they ended the, that oath. They took an oath, and they said, I swear I will do these things, and they ended it with a phrase, so help me God. Why do they, why do they use that phrase? In some cases, I mean, it, it, those of us who have done reenlistments and have, have sworn in again and again over the years in the military... We use that phrase, but do we think about what that phrase means? So help me God. It's an oath. 
by God's help, I will do this. You know, and, and again, in that, in that ceremony, the, the hand was on the Bible. Why, why do that? In a lot of cases, it's just tradition. It's just what we do. It's Lincoln's Bible. It's something special about Lincoln's Bible. Sure, it's, it's a cool to have Lincoln's Bible, but it's the Bible nonetheless. It is the Word of God, whether it be Lincoln's Bible or Bible on your iPad. The Bible is the Word of God. It would be a little weird to have your hand on an iPad. I swear in it. <clears throat> so we, we make these oaths. We make these promises to others, and we say we make this promise based on our trust and faith in God, that God will help us to complete these things. And frankly, we do that because we can't always trust people's word. It would be wonderful if we could, but we can't. So we make these, these promises. We, we bring God and say, by God's help, I will do this. And God is my witness that I will do this. I, I remember growing up, when, when I heard the words, by God, it, that was it. There was, no, there was no discussion. You know, get in here, by God. And there, was, there didn't have to, I, I don't remember anything ever being after the phrase, but I knew that she was serious, that my mom was serious. There, there's a, there's a, you know, there was no counting the three, there was no stomping the foot. Um, uh, the, the comedian Tom Wilson, he played um, Biff in the Back to the Future movies. He, he talks about that moms have all these degrees of angry. So you don't really know when to take them serious. They have, you know, disappointment and, and frustration and impatient and displeased and perturbed and annoyed and irritated and upset and mad and enraged, livid and insane. And so, you know, they, they, you know mom's got another level coming. You really can kind of push your, uh, your luck a little bit. He, said, he also said dads have two, two levels, watching TV and silverback eight, you know. So it, it's, it's a funny bit, but, but God is, when we invoke God, when my mother invoked God, I didn't have, there was no question, by God, I was moving, and I was doing whatever it was that she was telling me to do, because she was not fooling around. So we invoke the name of God to, to make our promises solid, to ensure other people that we are serious about this. And it says that there are two unchangeable things. When God desired, verse 17, to show more convincingly uh, to the heirs of the promise the unchangeable character of his purpose, he guaranteed it with an oath so that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before us. So the unchangeable things, God's unchangeable purpose and his unchangeable character. God's purpose doesn't change and his, perp- his character doesn't change. He can't lie. He doesn't move. He's a fixed point around which everything else moves. And he doesn't concern himself with opinions and polls and popular sentiment. When God makes a promise, consider it done. Consider it as the truth. The, this promise that God makes with Abraham... Um, that by extension we receive through Jesus Christ, as, as mentioned this morning, thank you, uh, is a covenantal promise. It's not just, it's not just me, for instance, you know, if, if the president swears in and swears, so help me God, and he doesn't do what he said he would do, 
Would that surprise us? That, he, that, the, the, that somebody is not true to their word? It should, but it wouldn't if somebody did not keep their oath. Uh, because we, we make these oaths sometimes flippantly. But God makes an oath, and it, it is sure. It's wholly dependent on who God is, on the faithfulness of God, and not on the faithfulness or lack thereof of the receiver. God's promise doesn't depend on me. It's a covenant. Robert and I talked about this a little bit with marriage. Marriage is a covenant. It's not a contract. If you do this, I will do this. That's not what marriage is meant to be. Marriage is, I will do this no matter. I will be faithful to you no matter what. No matter what you do or say or my commitment by God is to you regardless of your behavior. So it is with God's promise to us. It's based on his character and who he is. It's a covenant. I remember when I was seven or eight, my parents promised me. We had gone to the San Jacinto Memorial in, in Houston, Texas, to, you know, to the battlefield, uh, the San Jacinto battlefield. And right across the street was the battlefield tex- uh, battleship Texas. And uh, we didn't, for whatever reason, didn't have time to visit that day. But they promised me we would go back. I've never been to the battleship Texas. <laughs> Almost 40 years, or 30 years, and I remember that broken promise. Matter of fact, a week ago or so, we were driving through there, and I found myself like a, like a child just looking for, I just wanted to see it. I wanted to see the battleship because I'd never been there. We make promises, and we fail to fulfill those promises, but God never will. We can trust him. We can trust his promise because of who he is. If we back up just a second, and I don't want to gloss over this because uh, it is relevant in this, in this part, but I will treat it very quickly because this is one of those difficult passages, is Hebrews 6, verses 4 through 6. It does relate to this, this promise, this covenant. It says, For it is impossible in the case of those who have once been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift and have shared in the Holy Spirit, and have tasted the goodness of the word of God and the powers of the age to come, and then have fallen away to restore them again to repentance, since they are crucifying once again the Son of God to their own harm and holding him up for contempt. This idea of falling away, if this promise is based on God's character and not on our behavior, how is it that we might fall away? It's impossible to restore those who have fallen away. God is faithful. His promise is secure. But yet we have this, this admonition in a previous passage against falling away. Well, again, it, it's, it's a, it, it can be a big study. But we have to remember, as I said in the beginning, the original audience. That was Jewish believers who had come out of the sacrificial system, who had come out of the, the Jewish religion with all of its rituals and sacrifices. Um, he was warning them against turning back to those dead ways. Don't go back to sacrifices. Don't go back to the temple uh, practices. Because Christ fulfilled that. And if you go back to that, if you turn back to that as your security, as your anchor, 
as your hope, then what use is Christ's sacrifice? Christ would have to be sacrificed again and again and again. So, again, very quickly, but when, when I, this, this phrase falling away has a lot of baggage. You know, we know what it means because we've heard it all our lives, right? But when I look at the Greek, the, the Greek word that is used, translated falling away, is parapipto, which means, uh, para means to, um, in different contexts, it means different things. But in, in this sense, um, it means from, alongside, or closely by the side of. It's a prefix. And then pipto is the word to fall. So to fall away, right? To fall from. But it really more has a sense of to fall from alongside, to, to have fallen from a close position, to deviate from a previously held truth. And I, I picture it in a run. When you are running alongside somebody and maybe they get a little extra gas and they start leaving you and you, know, you can't keep up with them, you begin to fall away from them slowly. And what happens is, you know, over time, psychologically, the further they get, the more discouraged you get. And you just kind of, you slow down. I can't keep up with them, obviously. And so you begin to slow down and, and you fall away. So how, how is it that we would possibly fall away in our Christian walk? It's, it's a slow process. It's neglecting time in the Word because we're so busy. We don't have time to get in the Word. It's Failing to thank God for his promises, to associate the good things or his blessings, to, to associate the good things that we receive with the God who gives them. It's trying to fight our battles in our own strength and not depending on God's strength to win those battles. It's falling into habits of sin. It's a slow fade. Do you remember the Casting, song, uh, casting Crown song, Slow Fade? It says, it's a slow fade when you give yourself away. It's a slow fade when black and white are turned to gray, and thoughts invade, choices are made, a price will be paid when you give yourself away, and it says, people never crumble in a day, daddies never crumble in a day, families never crumble in a day. It's a slow fade. So we can fall away in the sense that we don't follow so closely Christ. The promise is there, the promise is secure. We have our responsibilities to keep up. So we, we have this hope based on the greatness of the promise maker. The second point, our hope is based on the grounding of the promise. Look at verses 14 and 15. Surely, God, God, this is God's oath, surely I will bless you and multiply you. And thus Abraham, having waited patiently, obtained the promise. So the promise is grounded in Christ, in, in God's promise to Abraham. Uh, God promised Abraham n- numerous times in Genesis uh, that he would be that he would be blessed, that he would be um, multiplied, that he would have a child. You know that's that, that's just only one small piece of the child. That in his old age he would have an heir from his own flesh and blood. Abraham trusted God because that was a solid that was solid ground that he could hang on to. In spite of the things he see he he saw, 
the things he experienced, he trusted God. In, in Hebrews chapter 11, flip over there real quick. This is possibly a familiar verse or familiar chapter to you. Uh, but Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1, it says, Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the, convic- the conviction of things not seen. And then it goes on. This is the, the Heroes Hall of Fame, the Faith Hall of Fame in, uh, in Hebrews. It goes on to talk about Abraham, uh, beginning in verse 8. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called out to go to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. Verse 9, by faith he went to live in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. By faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive, even when she was past the age, since she considered him faithful who had promised. Therefore, from one man, and him as good as dead, were born descendants as many as the stars of heaven and as many as the innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. So Abraham had this promise that by faith he, he, held, he held to. That was his anchor. And we, we know, if we're familiar with the story of Abraham, what waiting patiently looked like for Abraham. It involved uh, Hagar and yielded Ishmael which is the source of a lot of our problems today because Ishmael became the father of the Arabs. And so the Jewish-Arab conflict resulted from Abraham's patience, patiently waiting. But there is hope there because we see Abraham is held up as an example of faith, even though we know that he wasn't perfect and that he didn't always act in faith, that God honored his promise. For the most part, Abraham was faithful. And waited patiently. Um, So we can make mistakes. It doesn't negate God's promise to us. But we turn back to God. uh, David was a man after God's own heart. And yet we know that he was not perfect. But he turned back to God after he he sinned. So that is our hope. Is the grounding of our promise. the, The... the greatness of our promise maker, the grounding of our promise is in God and not in our behavior. We do have, we do have a role. We do have a part to play. We, we are to be faithful. We need absolute truth. There is, I mean, there is a, a need for this grounding of truth. Wholesale, our culture is rejecting truth. But we have that innate need for innate need for truth. No matter how much when we were when we were sailing, no matter how much we believed that chart that said the land was there and the water was here, when we looked out and saw that the chart was a mile and a half off, and if we had followed the chart blindly, we would be aground. No matter how much we believed that, it didn't make it true. Absolutely, there was land and we're in the water. We can't go as far as the chart says we should go. Even our GPS had us plotting across land, anchoring on the beach. It was ridiculous. But we need, there is, there is a such thing as absolute truth. We, we can't just trust it because somebody said it. Somebody drew it on a piece of paper even. Had we ignored reality and gone solely based on what we truly believed, we would, we would have lost 
with the land. We have this need for truth. Romans 1.18 says the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of men who suppress the truth by their wickedness. We don't need to go down that road. We can we probably think of a dozen examples right now. Ephesians 6.14, stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist with the breastplate of righteousness in place. The foundation for our warfare is truth. The foundation for our righteousness is that belt of truth. So our hope is based on the grounding of the promise. And third point, our hope is based on the guarantee of the promise keeper, verses 19 and 20. We have this, this hope as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf, having become a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Again, I don't have time to go into Melchizedek. The next chapter actually is an aside to explain Melchizedek, uh, but literally it means the king of truth or the king of faithfulness. Um, Jesus is the king of faithfulness. He is the guarantee of our promise. He is the keeper of the promise. Jesus purchased our salvation by his sacrificial death on the cross. His unblemished, perfect sacrifice atoned for our sins. Finally and forever, it is finished. Our sins are forgiven. That's the anchor that we have. That's what holds us in place. Again, no matter what I do, Jesus Christ is solid, and I can turn to him and depend on him, and he is he has set a place for me. He is, he is anchored in heaven. There was one of, the, one of the places that we bypassed on our way to um, La Ventana was a place called um, Ensenada de Muertos, which, for those of you who aren't overly familiar with Spanish, the Bay of the Dead. And that was a, that was a good anchorage. But who wants to go to the to a place called... The, the cove or the bay of the dead uh, didn't sound like a good place. But the reason it was called that was because of, of a practice that they used during the mining times of using dead men. Dead men were heavy objects that they would sink and put a buoy on, and then they would tie off to, uh, to anchor off on those. And they would use engine blocks and concrete blocks and, you know, very heavy things that were pretty much permanently on the bottom. So they would tie off to these dead men, and they have a very secure place to be, uh, to be anchored to. And they wouldn't have to worry about putting their own anchor in and out. Um, but it was also sheltered. Uh, it sheltered from that northerly wind, and it was very calm, and it was, it was a great anchorage. Unfortunate name. But we have, we have a dead man who, who placed an anchor for us. Jesus Christ died that we might have that anchor. He's, he's risen. For certain, but those anchorages in the the uh, Ensenada de, de, de Muertos is uh, they're solid, they're established, they're permanent, they're trusted. We have a, a dead man on which we can secure, we can secure ourselves and be rest and rest in confident assurance. This this passage that we're reading is part of a, a larger passage. Uh, that begins in Romans, or I'm sorry, not Romans, that's a long way back. 
begins in Genesis. No, but this, this aside in Hebrews begins in uh, chapter 5, verse 11, and goes through the end of chapter 6. And it's in the middle of this encouragement about who this high priest is that we can trust is this encouragement for us to continue striving toward maturity. With that strong foundation, we are able to move to more and greater works. We're encouraged in verse 12 not to be sluggish. God won't overlook our works of serving the saints, but our life, our part, our role in anchoring ourselves to this anchor, grabbing hold of this anchor, securing ourselves to this anchor is to do these good works, to live a life of active obedience. So when we set the anchor, we find the good bottom, we drop the anchor, we pay out some chain, we back down on that anchor, we test the anchor to make sure that it's solid, and then we put out the appropriate scope of chain to hold us. Uh, And that chain is part of what holds us there. The weight of the chain, how much chain we have out, make sure that we are secure. Each experience that we have, whether if we trust God through that trial and difficulty, we can put out another fathom of anchor chain. Every time we, we have a difficulty and we don't trust God, we pull some chain in. It makes us, us a little less secure. So our hope is based on the greatness of the promise maker. Our hope is based on the grounding of the promise. And our hope is based on the guarantee of the promise keeper. As we look for something to hold on to, an anchorage, a place where we can be sheltered and protected with a good holding, a good bottom holding and, and security, make sure that anchor is, is, is solid. We're looking for safe harbor, our eternal home in heaven. So what do we do with this? What I don't want to do is say, try harder, because you're all trying harder. I know you are. But it's, you know, it may not work. It, it won't work. Trying harder doesn't get you there. If it did, Christ wouldn't have had to die. The law would have been sufficient. So d- I'm not saying don't try. I'm not saying don't keep enduring, don't persevere. But that's not going to fix it. So we need to know, first of all, we need to know the great promiser. We need to know God. You know, if, if it's based on who he is, on the greatness of the one who made the promise, then we need to know him. We need to seek his face, not just his hand. We need to give him praise for who he is. Study the names of God. Study the character of God. Um, you know, I've got a devotion that I read. It kind of breaks me out of my monotony of, of me doing my thing. And, and it's A.W. Tozer, the um, uh, Tozer on the Almighty God. Every day it's a different aspect, a different meditation on, on who God is. Study God, the promise maker. Keep our, put our eyes on him. We need to, second, remind ourselves of those promises that are made to us, the truth about who we are in God's eyes. We are forgiven. We're set free from bondage to sin and death. We're no longer slave to the desires of the flesh. We need to know the truth. We need to be in the word. And thirdly, we need to trust our anchor. Jesus Christ is securely seated on his heavenly throne. Abraham faced discouragement, testing, delay. He didn't see the ultimate fulfillment of this promise in his lifetime. He saw pieces of it. The ultimate fulfillment of that promise to Abraham was in Jesus Christ. He had patience, trusting the promise. We're promised salvation. We're promised victory. We're promised joy. Sometimes it feels like we're just being defeated 
and damaged and destroyed. There's a song by Ray Bolts, The Anchor Holds, that kept coming to mind as I, as I studied this. And uh, the chorus says, The anchor holds, though the ship's been battered. The anchor holds, though the sails are torn. I've fallen on my knees as I face the raging seas. The anchor holds in spite of the storm. So what are you trusting for your security? For your eternal security? What is your anchor? Maybe you've never even thought about that question. If you've never taken hold of Jesus Christ as your Savior, as your anchor, as your Lord, if you've, if you've never trusted his death, burial, and resurrection for your eternal life, we'd love to talk to you about that. I would, I'll, I'll be up here. We'll have other folks up here. Your neighbor, talk to them. Talk to somebody about that. I, we'll tell you more about it. It's a tremendous subject that is our passion. And if you, if you have done that, amen. Is your anchor secure? Whatever anchor you're depending on, do you trust your anchor? You know, again, we had an anchor. I'd never, we never really used it. We didn't trust it. I know that I can trust it now. I know that it's bigger than it needs to be. I know that it'll hold when it needs to. Have you put your anchor to the test? <clears throat> Have you trusted Jesus through storms, temptations, disappointment, discouragements, finances, marriage, tragedy, loss? Maybe when the storm's raging, all you could do was, was endure. Maybe you prayed a prayer in a moment of desperation, God help me. But when it passed, when the storm was gone, did you fall on your knees and thank God for getting you through it? Or did you turn away, pat yourself on the back, and, incur and just tell yourself what a great job you did getting through that and get back on track for facing another storm? I don't know where you are right now, but I'm certain of this. You've either just emerged from a storm, you're in the middle of a storm, or you're about to enter a storm. Jesus said, in this life we will have trouble, but take courage because he overcame the world. He is the anchor for our soul, immovable and forever. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for the certainty that we can have in you. God, so many things around us seem to fail and fall short and, and to hurt us when we depend on them. But God, we know you never will. And whatever, whatever we're going through, wherever we are right now, God, you are solid. And you are there waiting for us to cling to you, to, to throw out our, our line, to, to take hold of that anchor in Jesus Christ whether we've done it before or whether we've never done it. God, we thank you that you offer that security in Jesus Christ. And we pray that whatever position, wherever place we are in right now, whether we are in a storm or we are approaching a storm, God, we thank you that you are our anchor. We pray that you would help us to turn to you and to rely on you and to depend on you for strength in that storm. Father, as you go from this place, may we be 
a lighthouse, may we be an anchor that others see, that others can cling to as they are headed for the rocks, as we toss them a line and tell them about our anchor in Jesus Christ. Lord, we pray this in your holy name.